up, everybody? This is Sarah, your host of Talk to the Hand podcast, a podcast about the 90s, everything you love about the 90s, and more. Hey, how's everyone doing? I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you are doing whatever self-care you need to get through um, the last week, which was very, very tough on so many people for so many reasons. Um, and you know what? I just really hope you're all taking care of yourself. That's that's what we have to do. Self-care is part of the resistance. And um, you know what? I hope you are all doing whatever you need. Um, I hope you're loving each other. Make sure you always tell your loved ones that you love them because you just, you never know. You never know. And I'm not saying that to make you feel like you have this urgency to always make sure everyone you know knows how much you care about them. But just make it part of your daily life, you know? Make it part of your lifestyle to show those people. You don't always have to say it, but you can show it and they'll know. And I think that's just how we need to live with love and abundance of compassion and empathy and hugs. And I also don't wanna say it's all sunshine and rainbows and butterflies. I think we also need to address um, what happened this week in America. And I'm gonna take this time right at the top to just kind of talk just a second about what a tough week this was. And just a reminder, you know, we had racism and gun violence. And I just want to remind you to stay vigilant and stay involved. These are issues that need every single person's participation. If we want to have any hope, any hope of curing these deeply pervasive and ingrained ills. So how do you do that? Call your senators, call your representatives, sign petitions, donate to groups that support these causes. I will put some resources in the show notes um, for this episode. You know, I think I'm going to probably just keep them going in all the show notes. So just look for those every week if you kind of need some guidance. Um, but I, I just think this is now the time for us to lock arms and push, push our culture and our society to root out what's so deeply not working for us. Um, which, you know, obviously is systemic racism, which is the root of all gun violence and white supremacy and all that. So deep inequality, it takes a toll on all of us. Make sure you are staying active, stay vigilant, stay involved and check out the show notes if you need um, some guidance because and also feel free to message me. Um, I'm I'm happy to talk about it with with anyone. So, uh, you know, with that said, Make sure you're following us on social media, TTTHpod on Twitter, talk to the hand pod on Instagram. Actually, I don't know why I say Twitter because I'm really not that involved on Twitter. I think the last time I posted something was like the Uncle Jesse episode. So it's been a minute. Um, so I can't guarantee anything on that one. But Instagram, we're very active. You could also go to our website, talk to the handpod.com, or email me at talk to the handpod at gmail.com. Okay, so this week I'm by myself, everyone. Again, I told you I really liked it. So I'm going to do it more. Um, we actually have a lot of guests planned coming up. So I just kind of took this opportunity to do one more by myself before kind of a wave of guests. Um, so I'm by myself and I'm covering a very 90s topic, Ross and Rachel. Everyone, if you're listening to this, I assume you checked the title. And so you're listening to this because you either watched the show Friends in the 90s or you know of the show Friends and you know of Ross and Rachel. And I think there's a there's really, truly, I can't think of too many things that are more 90s than Ross and Rachel. 
Um, I will have an episode in the future about friends in general. So don't worry. Um, that one has to be done with my sister. She and I quote friends literally all 10 seasons in our sleep to each other. Sometimes we don't even have to say what quote we're referring to. We'll just give each other the look and like we will start laughing. Um, so I will do that one in the future. This is just going to be focused on Ross and Rachel. Um, I'm going to give you some of my thoughts. I'm going to give you some of my top five Ross and Rachel moments. Um, and yeah. Oh, one more thing before I get into the topic. Make sure if you like what you hear today or like what you've heard in the past, make sure you leave us a five-star review um, on Apple. It really helps us with the algorithms. Um, and we are doing this in March, but I'm actually going to extend, extend it into um, April because I've had a lot of interest. So um, if you leave a five-star review throughout March or April, um, at the very end of April, we're going to pull um, one person who will win a um, swag box from talk to the hand podcast, uh, be full of merch and fun stuff. So make sure you leave a five-star review. Make sure you put your name on the five-star review. You can do that by leaving a short comment. So, um, if you do that, that'd be great. Helps us out. Uh, and also enters you a chance to win some really cool 90 swag. Okay. Um, I think that's it. All right. So let's get into it. Shall we? So we're talking about Ross and Rachel today and Ross and Rachel were the, you know, arguably most popular couple of the 90s. They were on the show Friends, which lasted for 10 seasons on NBC, ran 236 episodes. Ross and Rachel were arguably the most iconic part of the series. They're on again, off again. Will they, won't they? Sometimes, well, a lot of times, very toxic relationship, but sometimes very beautiful relationship. Throughout all 10 seasons, we were on this emotional roller coaster with them, whether we wanted to be or not. And I think most of the time we wanted to be. Uh, there are quite a quite a bit of opinions now about their relationship, too, as the series ages. Um, a lot of talk about if Ross was manipulative and abusive, if they were on a break, if Rachel should have stayed on the plane. And we'll talk about all those, um, you know, in detail during this episode. But, you know, the fact that we're still talking about Ross and Rachel today, I think, is evidence of their incredible impact on us in the 90s. According to researchers on IMDb, DB, the lowest rated episode was actually the uh, Ross and Rachel clip show. So out of all 10 seasons, the lowest rated one was the one with the invitation. That's where Rachel's deciding whether or not to go to London for Ross's wedding to Emily. That one was rated the lowest, which is just kind of funny because as it, to me, what that tells us is it's as much as we hate to love them, we can't help but love them, right? <laughs> we hated the episode that was just about their flashback to their relationship because we were so frustrated by their relationship, yet we still tuned in every week after week, Thursdays at 8 p.m., at least here on the West Coast. We still tuned in every single week because we were just hooked. We were hooked. So I think that is so illustrative of the fact that we hated to love them so much and we also kind of love to hate them. I mean, that's really, hate's a strong word, but you know, that's, we really, a lot, people have lots of opinions, I should say, on Ross and Rachel. I also, you know, I, I, I have a real attachment to Ross and Rachel. I grew up watching Friends. Like I said, it's one of my favorite shows with my sister. When I worked at an animal shelter a few years ago, I actually convinced the animal care team, this is the only time it ever happened the entire time I worked there, but I actually convinced the animal care team to name two bunnies that came in together, Ross and Rachel. It was really fun. I work in marketing, so it was a really fun little marketing thing I got to do. Really fun. And you know, people, it really resonated with people. People are like, oh my God, two bunnies, Ross and Rachel, that's great, brilliant. And like, it's, you know, that's, that's how we feel about Ross and Rachel in a nutshell, right? That like these two bunnies 
coming in to be adopted together and rescued together. <laughs> I think that's very, very um, a cool thing about Ross and Rachel. Um, so I saw the couple referred to as Rachel <laughs> on a fan database. Don't worry, I am not going to refer to them as Rachel. I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, and as you know, if you don't know, which you probably do, Ross has had a crush on Rachel since the ninth grade. Um, according to a BuzzFeed article I read, they are the quote unquote, king and queen of questionable decisions. And I think we all agree with that. We sit back and we watch them week after week. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? For real, what are you doing? Right? I think we all did that at one point or another. Ross and Rachel have a famous 90s defining relationship. According to the writers of the show, they almost didn't have them break, break up. But I think it's because of that breakup and that will they, won't they, that viewers, like I said, kept coming back to the show. I want to also say... I am not a huge fan of Ross. Okay, I'm going to start getting into the nitty gritty here. All right, we're, you know, nine minutes in, going to get into the nitty gritty. I am not a huge fan of Ross. From the very beginning, he was always so possessive and so creepy about Rachel. One of the first things that comes to mind is he made a pro and cons list about her versus Julie. If you remember when he's trying to decide, does he go out with Julie, who he has a lot in common with? Does he go out with Rachel, who he's been in love with for since ninth grade? And so he makes this pros and cons list at the, you know, encouragement of Chandler. And he puts, you know, just a waitress on her side and and snobby and, you know, whatever he, he writes about are really horrible things. And the fact that that even happens is such a low point for Ross. And I think one of the things that make him the creepiest to me, you know, he freaked out about her relationship with Mark, her coworker that got her her job at Bloomingdale's, which was her dream job, her foot in the door job. You know, she was the she was one of the original girl bosses. Like we, I, I one day we'll do an episode about all the strong women that we were exposed to as girls and femmes in the nineties. And and even boys, like any any gender, any any orientation identification could see the women in the 90s portrayed as they did stick up for themselves and they they should go after those dreams and they should take those jobs, even if it's a hunky guy that helped hook her up with the job. Um, so that was another thing that I thought was Ross was really creepy about. Um, and then, of course, of course, cheating on Rachel. And this is, you know, were they, weren't they on a break to saying Rachel's name at the altar when he was trying to when he was getting married to Emily and then taking um, Rachel to Emily's honeymoon was really a shitty thing to do. Not getting the annulment after their drunken marriage in Vegas, which I will elaborate on in a few minutes. That storyline with him has has not only hasn't aged well, but it never was really cool. I mean, I remember seeing these episodes in the 90s going like, whoa, 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 dude. Like, she's fine. <laughs> chill, like check your masculinity here. Check that toxicity. Like you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. And then a couple other points I wanted to point out too. Um, you know, he gets that new couch and the delivery person doesn't believe that he and Rachel were together. And he tries to prove that masculinity somehow by telling him they had sex 298 times. Like, okay, that's super creepy. He goes to spring break when he's dating Elizabeth, who is his not exaggerating, very young former student, now girlfriend, when she wants to go with her friends to spring break. And she is packing this super hot little red bikini, like get a girl. He also starts dating this woman, Mona, who for all intents and purposes is a fantastic match for him later on. But, you know, of course he doesn't have the emotional and mental, you know, bandwidth to give the attention to Mona and to Rachel, the mother of his child and his new infant and flakes on Mona all the time. Um, so like I said, I've never been a fan of Ross. Rachel's dad 
was never a fan of Ross. He even pleaded for her not to go to Paris for her ultimate dream job. I mean, couldn't they have found a compromise? Like, why did she have to go and put her dreams on hold? So that all just kind of makes me sigh. Many people have kind of pointed out um, that and called him out for abusing his partners in the show, especially in the later years, and especially after the Time's Up and Me Too eras. And I agree with a lot of it. His affection for his partners is riddled with jealousy, manipulation, blame, forcing them to stop talking to someone, all of those things that are shady at best and abusive at worst. And while we love watching Friends and we kind of revel in this on again, off again tension of this relationship, it must be noted that that is not normal. That is not a normal, healthy relationship. And I just want to make sure that that is known. Watching Friends, we love it, but it may make these these scenarios seem like they're normal. And I just want to reiterate they're not. And, you know, I'll put, like I said, I'll put a resource in the show notes, especially about, you know, how to tell if you're in that kind of a relationship or not. But I think that's something that we look at their relationship now with a much more critical eye. And even though, in my opinion, um, I don't think those storylines were cool, even in the 90s, and they're especially not cool now, I think... I think in broader terms, we are starting to look a lot more critically and notice what what things and personality traits are red flags and all of that. So as problematic as he is aside, and I don't want to excuse or endorse any of that problematic behavior, I do want to point out that Rachel does put him in his place at times. Now, that doesn't make her any less of a victim to his shady tactics, but let's explore a little bit of how she does it. Do you remember in like season four where she writes this letter about to Ross about him accepting blame for their ultimate breakup after he, you know, where they weren't they on a break? And she writes this 18 page letter front and back and he doesn't read it. And then it turns out that they're not going to reconcile because she doesn't like that he didn't read it. And he storms out of the apartment and she chases after him and says, just so you know, it's not that common. It doesn't happen to every guy. And it's it's a big deal. <laughs> okay. So we remember that that's one time she really put him in his place. And I think everyone, like everyone was clapping, right? It was just, okay, get it girl. Like a little bit pushing it far, but he deserved it. Like he's done a lot of shitty stuff to you before. Okay. Like he can take this one. Um, in season one, Rachel actually calls out Ross's gloating after a poker game where it was Phoebe, Monica and Rachel versus the guys. And she says, it's, it's a really interesting call out, you know, Ross starts really gloating and like rubbing it in their faces that the, they lost to the guys at this poker game. And she says, Rachel stands there And she says, it's so typical. I'm a man. I have a penis. I have to win money to exert my power over women. Whoa, that was super, super legit, Rachel. All right. Okay. Okay. Another time when she says to him, no uterus, no opinion, when she's having Braxton Hicks contractions and he says they aren't that big of a deal. Um, There's one time during their relationship where he is freaking out about her and Mark and wants to be more involved in her career. And she says, well, I'm going to this lecture. And he goes with her and he starts talking to her like a jackass. And she's like, look, dude, I am trying to pay attention. This This is a big lecture for me. And she puts her hands over his mouth and shuts him up. 
and silences his overbearing and controlling presence. That's another time I think she really puts him in her place. And then, of course, we cannot forget about <laughs> Unagi and the episode where he's like really dragging them for saying they wouldn't be able to like protect themselves because they don't have the art of Unagi, which um, they are taking the self-defense class and they put him in his place and they show him that they do have it. And they are holding him down. Like, And I say they, it's Rachel and Phoebe. They're pinning him down and they're yelling at him to say it, say we have Unagi. So like, you know, for all of the problematic stuff that Ross puts Rachel through, she does push back and she, push, she pushes back in ways that I think are super telling and super powerful. And I know that I, okay, I know after all I've just said that I'm going to get super, super called out for canceling Ross Geller. And you know what? Fine. Okay. Whatever. I'm not trying to do that, but I do think we can hold the writers and the character and even the show accountable for what hasn't aged very well. And I'm not advocating for canceling Ross. I definitely think we should observe his character now in 2021, like I said, with a much more critical eye and learn how to spot these things in our own relationships and relationships of others. I do think that if it were written now, it would likely be written in a way that's more maybe empowering for Rachel. What comes to mind is like Lena Dunham when she wrote her characters and girls, and I know there's problems there too, whatever. And and like How I Met Your Mother, which to me was like the next generation model of friends. Look at how those characters observed relationships and set boundaries and let certain things slide and held them accountable for certain things. I mean, like I said, problematic things in all three of those show examples when it comes to women in relationships with with men, typically, um, sometimes other women. I mean, even if you look at Sex and the City, I mean, look at Big, look at Big and Carrie. Okay, so I'm getting kind of off on a tangent here, but um, but like I said, there's, there's things from the 90s that just aren't going to age well, especially when we are so much more aware and, and there's so much more public scrutiny on these types of problematic elements. So, like I said, the most important thing is to learn to decipher the the signs of and the red flags of abuse to any uh, any degree in relationships. So that's the takeaway, right? But with that said, let's look to some happier times. I also want to point out that Rachel is written as if she really genuinely does love him, maybe because of his love for her since high school. And I can tell you as a person who is back with her high school sweetheart and has literally never experienced like a love as deep as this, being in love with the person who you've loved forever is just a feeling I can't believe that I'm lucky enough to have. I know what that feels like. And you're willing to overlook things, maybe not things that cross lines, like some of the things that Ross does, but you you learn boundaries at least today, in a way that works for both people. You learn how to set them. You learn how to honor them. At least that's, to me, what a healthy relationship with, you know, your the love of your life since high school looks like. I also want to say Rachel's a grown woman. I mean, we'd be equally not as cool to assume that she didn't like what Ross had to offer her. When she didn't like it, she definitely pushed back, as I mentioned. I think she was, when we also take Rachel's context, her life context into account here and realize that when she started up with Ross, she was a you know, 25-year-old woman who was starting to learn what independence meant. She had never been independent before. She grew up under, you know, her father, the patriarch, and then she immediately started, um, you know, dating and got engaged to Barry. And this was her first time being kind of on her own and dependent on herself. And we have to kind of take into account, like, what her journey was as a young woman. Give her some 
empathy and some some compassion and just kind of look at her view. Okay. I think a lot of you at this point, I might have, I might start losing you because you're like, oh my God, Sarah, it's literally just a show. Like, why are you armchair analyzing this so deeply? Um, I'm not trying to, (laughs) I'm literally just trying to review. I, I I just want to kind of have a chat about what Ross, Ross and Rachel meant to me then. And like what mean, how they mean to me now. Um, so like I said, it's fiction, it's fictional story with a fictional, with a fictional set of characters. So I don't want to sound too like Lala, like out there, but it does have a very prevalent relationship to a lot of people in the nineties. And I do think it is worth exploring. Okay, so individually aside, a Screen Rant article I read said Ross and Rachel were definitely the more the most entertaining couple out of all of them. Always seem to have the worst timing and they pine over each other when the other is in a solid relationship. Um, and that part of the story is that they do learn to live without each other. Although it's clear that they're happiest when together. Um, and there's always going to be something that happens that shows that they have feelings they're meant to be together. Some even say that they probably wouldn't have even gotten back together at the end of it if they didn't have Emma. It definitely like confirms their relationship and their feelings for each other. Um, and I think that's really interesting to, to consider too. I read a particularly critical article about Ross and Rachel's relationship. And so I decided to go into the comment section and look at what other people are saying. I think for the most part, people are mostly agreeing with me in that it is problematic. There are a lot of creepy things about, about Ross's relationship with Rachel and what Rachel accepts that we clearly wouldn't accept these days. A lot of people are elaborating and saying, it's not just about that. Like, okay, yeah, sure. It's problematic, but a show about happy, mature, committed, insane relationship would be boring. I'm not saying that that's my point of view. That's just one thing I saw. Do we forget about how big of a deal the Ross and Rachel relationship was in the nineties? I truly, I remember going to school and when it came out that Rachel was pregnant, I remember the entire day I was 14 years old. I remember the entire day leading up to that evening when the show um, aired at 8 p.m. Thursday. I remember every single person talking. Is it going to be Ross? Is it going to be Gunther? Is it going to be like they it was it was so such a big deal. It was a cultural phenomenon in the 90s. Um, There's also a lot of discussion about the fact that they had so much chemistry and you cannot deny that their chemistry was off the charts. That kiss in Central Perk after hours like are you kidding me? And that is what kept people tuning in. Another comment said, aren't they in their mid-20s? I mean, mid-20s is a really hard time to navigate relationships. People are starting to settle down. If they haven't settled down, they have some baggage or whatever. Like, that's a hard time to be dating. You are finding out who you are personally when you're in your 20s and even into your 30s. The criticism about the how immature they are you have to also realize that they are supposed to be in their mid-20s when they were going through all of this. I, I do want to point out there's a lot of like awkward, weird moments. Um, so like when Ross is dating that student, Elizabeth, and then Rachel starts dating her dad, which is Bruce Willis. That's kind of weird and like very sitcom-y. So I don't like think we need to dive too deep into that because it's just kind of goofy and silly. But I do think that, that their former relationship informs the context, which makes that seem very silly and funny. There are, and I'm going to give you my top five episodes Um, or my my top five Ross and Rachel moments um, in just a second. But before we get into that list, we must address the elephant in the room. And that is, were they on a break? (laughs) Were they on a break? 
According to a poll on Plenty of Fish, 60% of users felt that they were. Um, another poll from TV Guide had 83% of people responding saying that Ross's uh, actions with Chloe, the copy girl, were justified because they were on a break. David Schwimmer himself was interviewed by Jimmy Fallon last year in 2020 and said he knew they were definitely on a break. In my opinion, and I'm going to give you my opinion because it's my podcast. In my opinion, whether they were or not, sleeping with the next girl you see is so lame. And even if it's technically okay, it's a morally shitty thing to do. And trust me, that would be enough to shut the door for me. Knowing the person that you love did something that you thought was special for you with someone else while you were trying to figure out your next relationship steps, that's a shitty thing to do. Okay, not that I'm going to say about that. <laughs> With that said, I'm giving you my top five Ross and Rachel moments from all 10 seasons. Okay, here we go. Number five, the episode, the one where Ross hugs Rachel. That is season six, episode two. We start the episode with him lying to Rachel about not annulling their drunken marriage in Vegas. And he tells Phoebe, all I can hear is three divorces, three divorces. Here there's a stigma about divorce. He's so concerned about not getting divorced again. And as a divorced person myself, this is a stigma I am very glad died in the 90s. So Phoebe grabs this kind of like focus group of women in the coffee shop and says, and kind of like tests them and says like, um, he explains his divorces and his relationships with the three times. And um, one of them says, the divorces actually don't matter to her. It's just so very clear that he's still in love with this Rachel girl. He is adamant about, that it's not his love for Rachel, that he's using this three divorces thing to cover up the fact that he does want to stay married to her because he actually does love her. When he's at the appointment with his lawyer, he tries to convince him along with everyone that it's not love and it's just three marriages. Um, but it turns out he also needs both of them to testify before the for the judge to get the actual um, divorce or the annulment, because at this point he's told Rachel that it was done and she's good to go. And he has been lying the whole time. Like, no, it wasn't. He hasn't done it yet because he doesn't want three divorces. And so he learns that he needs her with there, with him to testify. And he's just adamant until the last moment that he doesn't love Rachel. And Phoebe just continues to hold him accountable. This is the episode we see her. We learn that Monica and Chandler are moving back in. And uh, subsequently, Rachel has to leave. And um, we see her crying at the table about losing, you know, her situation and just grieving the fact that the end of an era is there. And uh, Ross comes in, gives her a hug. It's the famous hug. And he tells her that everything will be okay. And he makes that face where he does realize that he loves her. And I think that was good acting on David Schwimmer's part. I think it was good writing. And I think it was just all around good that we saw that actual true deep love. I think that was really cool. Okay. Number four, the one where old Yeller dies. And this is season two, episode 20. This is where they say, I love you for the first time. This is the Monica and Richard episode, everyone. I love Monica and Richard. Everyone knows my love for Monica and Richard. Ross takes Ben for the weekend so Susan and Carol can have their own thing. And Rachel really doesn't know what to do with Ben. And Ross says, well, you'll know how to do it when it's our kids. And then he outlines a whole future, a boy and a girl. The boy won't be too competitive and they won't raise the kids in the city. They'll live in Scarsdale because it's far enough from the parents, but close enough that they can come over and babysit. The taxes are high, but the school system is great. So he like outlines this whole thing and Rachel freaks out, hands him the baby and like says, hey, is that the door? And runs towards it. She kind of goes off on him and says like, you've planned the next 20 years of our lives and we've only been dating for six weeks. And I think that's part of her independence shining through again, where she's like, look, I've been under 
a man's thumb. Like I've been dependent. I don't want that. I am just now finding out who I am on my own and I like it. And I think that's another part that she kind of fights back. And I think that's, that's a good example of she does stick up for herself. And, and I think maybe today that might be a little bit more forceful. Um, I don't want to say forceful in a bad way. I want to say more assertive. That was a, that was a big deal because they start fighting and they, he picks out the names and they start fighting. And all of a sudden he says, well, I love you. And she says, well, I love you too. And he says, that's the first time I've said that. And I'm going to kiss you. And she says, well, you'd better. And they have a really beautiful, sweet kiss. I think that was kind of a cool point too, because I did like how she was sticking up for herself. Um, But I do think that Ross is, Ross is, scenario come, came from a place of being in love with this woman since he was 14, 13, 14. Um, so I think that wasn't as creepy as some of the other things that happened. So I thought that was very on brand. And I also wanted to point out that Rachel's loungewear in these episodes is just absolutely spot on. Okay. Number three, the one with Chandler in the box. This is season four, episode eight. By now, Ross and Rachel are broken up. Monica and Phoebe asked to do a secret stand-up because they're just starting this new business and don't really have money. Chandler jumps up and asks everyone who got Rachel um, because he got her something, a briefcase that he thinks she'll really like. And they all are like, oh, okay, good luck because she returns everything. And so then there's like this funny interchange where Chandler's trying to change, goes through, you know, all the people. Everyone knows that Rachel, you know, notoriously returns gifts. So so Chandler asks Ross, can I, can I switch you for Rachel? Like, I don't want to give... I got something for Rachel, but she returns everything. And Ross jumps to her defense and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. She doesn't return everything she gets. I've given her lots of gifts over the years and she's kept them. So Ross puts it to the test. When she comes back out, he goes, hey, Rachel, where is that gold necklace? Can I see it? And she goes, why? And he says, I want to check on it. So she goes in, she brings it out, swings it around, doesn't really let him see a good close look at it. Says, I love it. I wear it all the time. And then he notices that it's actually silver and the one that he got is gold. And so he's astonished that she did actually exchange it. And she says, isn't it better that she gets something that she likes and enjoys and can get use out of? So he's really hard on her for that. And you know what? She knows what she wants. I have to say, this is another instance. This is another instance of Rachel just going, no, I'm going to stick up for myself. And she goes into her room and marches back out and brings with her a box of keepsakes that she has from their time together. And she goes, don't say that I have no sentiment. She kept a movie stub from the first date, an eggshell from the first time he made her breakfast in bed, and a bone from the museum the first night they were together. And and she just goes, no, I am sentimental. But that's, an again, another time. I thought that was really sweet. And another time where they truly see after Rachel kind of mends it, that they really do have deep, deep feelings for each other. Okay, number two, getting closer. The one where Ross finds out. This is season two, episode seven. Okay, so this one's really definitely my second from my favorite. And this is when uh, Ross and Julie are together. And, you know, Rachel is trying to admit to herself and everyone that she has moved on. And that's when we learn that Ross and Julie are getting a cat together. And we, you know, Rachel goes, you guys have a very good night and you two have a very good cat. And she walks out. So then she goes on a date with a guy that night. First date, first date he's gone on since his divorce, just to add insult to injury. And she makes it so bad by saying, how long do cats live? And after he says about 15 to 16 years, she proceeds to get really, really um, verbose about that it's not him, but she's, you know, this friend of hers is getting a cat with his girlfriend, starts laying into it. And uh, the date assumes that this is an old boyfriend. She goes, he wishes. So then one of the funny parts of that scene, she goes, well, I'm sorry, we're talking a lot about me. Let's talk about you. And then he goes, okay, great. Like, finally. And she goes, did you ever get a pet with a girlfriend? 
<laughs> I thought that was so funny. Um, so she gets drunk throughout the date. When she realizes that he wants to hurriedly end the date, um, she just says, oh, look at me. I'm on a date with a real good guy. And all I can think about is Ross and his cat and his Julie. And this really great guy says, look, like, I've been through a divorce. You'll be fine. You just need closure. And she goes, that's it. Like closure. And he says, whatever it takes to say, I'm over you. So then she turns around and the guy's on the phone and she asks to use the phone. And he's being a little weird about his phone. And But she takes it and she calls Ross and she says, hi, it's Rachel. I'm just calling to say that everything's fine. And I'm really happy for you and your cat, who, by the way, I think you should name Michael. <laughs> And that's the guy she's on the date with. And you see there, I'm thinking about names. So obviously I'm over you. And then she reiterates, I am over you. And that's my friend, what they call closure. And she hangs up the phone and tosses it into the ice bucket and the audience goes nuts. Ross comes over the next morning. She's drinking water with Tylenol. She looks clearly hungover. He's on his way to pick up the cat um, with Julie, but he's there to stop by to get the cat toys. He decides he needs to check the, his messages and he uh, checks it on their phone and says, Rach, I got a message from you. And then she starts to put two and two together and realize that she left this very embarrassing voicemail on his machine, uh, runs over, tells him to hang up the phone, give me the phone. And then we get that funny pause where he goes, you're over me? When were you under me? <laughs> so then they have this like chat about feelings and who had feelings first. And they realize that they both have feelings and they're freaking out, both of them. Julie calls the cab and he leaves to go get the cat. Um, and then we have the coffee the, the Central Park at night kiss scene. And he shows up, tells her he doesn't get the cat, and they fight about how, who, what right did you have to ever tell me you had feelings for me? Blah, blah, blah. I was happy. I was happy. And then he storms out, comes back, open the door, has a little trouble opening the door, and share a very passionate kiss. And that is just such a beautiful kiss. And that's one of the things I think is so magnetic about Ross and Rachel. And by the time we got to that kiss, the romantic tension had been building for a year. Every single time that Ross came close to confessing his feelings, something got in the way. Like whether it was Paolo or Julie or something, it really, the scene is really everything that made friends work. It was the humor, the emotion, the chemistry. It was just so romantic. Okay, that was number two. And then we have the prom video. This is season two, episode 14. So I think everyone will agree with me. This is one of the best Ross and Rachel episodes, if not the best of the entire series. Right off the bat, Ross is in the apartment, answers a phone, and it's a guy that's calling for Rachel. Obviously freaks out, does the creepy thing of hiding the phone number in the cupboard. They're all hot and cold all the way up until this episode. And we get the Phoebe explanation that lobsters fall in love and mate for life. And old lobster couples can be seen walking around the tanks holding claws. So then... Later on in the day, he is at the coffee shop and he sees Rachel talking to some guy and he interprets it as she is pushing him away when really she's just like flirting with him. So he goes up and he intervenes, uh, even though she doesn't want him to. And um, again, being super creepy, super possessive. Um, and she puts him in her place when he walks away. She's pissed and rightfully so. And she says, I'm not yours to save. And he says, well, you are because you're my lobster. He tries to explain it doesn't really work. Um, and Phoebe no famously says, try the claws again. <laughs> um, but she says, no, there is no us. She sticks up herself. And she says she's tired of being clobbered. 
And we're never going to happen except that. Okay, I also want to note here, this is the apex of the Rachel haircut. Like this is the number one episode of the Rachel haircut. Um, Okay, speaking of hair, cut to we see all of the friends in Monica and Rachel's apartment after uh, Monica got her hands on their old prom video. And you see, uh, you know, Rachel with her big puffy blue off the shoulder dress. And then you see Ross with his perm and his fabulous Mr. Cotter mustache, clearly has a thing for Rachel. And they have a bunch of, you know, um, tension, flirty uh, conversations while they're waiting for the uh, dates, Monica and Rachel's dates to arrive. Meanwhile, Monica and Ross's parents are filming the whole thing on their camcorder. um, And it's, you know, edited to look like a kind of, you know, camcorder home video. We see all this tension in these conversations. And it looks like Rachel's date chip isn't going to isn't going to show up monica says if you don't go i'm not gonna go either ross's parents convince him to go upstairs try on his dad's tux and take her because rachel deserves to go to her prom and they don't want monica to miss out on her prom as well so ross does it he goes upstairs puts on the tux comes back down grabs the flowers out of the vase to give to rachel and as he's walking down the stairs he sees the four people monica ross chip and Roy leave in a hurry, happily giggling, laughing for the prom. And we see his heartbroken face and in the video, and then it turns, it it flashes to him in, you know, present day. And we see he's reliving the heartbreak all over again. They all look up at him and say, I can't believe you did that. And she stands up and that moment he looks so vulnerable and so genuine. It was just the best part. And she walks over and she, they give the most passionate kiss and the audience goes wild again. And Phoebe says, see, he's her lobster. While there are still so many up and downs to come, we love this early look at Ross's love for Rachel. It gives us hope that we might all find our lobster too, you know? Okay, so that's number one. I have a few honorable mentions. The red sweater, which is the one where we learn that Ross is the father of Rachel's baby. The episode where they come up with names, Ruth, Rain, (laughs) Thatcher. Those were all hilarious. The episode with Brad Pitt, who plays Will, a friend of Ross's from high school who created the I Hate Rachel Club and started a rumor. That was a Thanksgiving episode on season eight. Ross helping Rachel with the laundry in season one, and she kisses him as a thank you for helping her. When Ross um, and Rachel are kissing and she can't stop laughing, that was so silly and cute. And then, of course, the Princess Leia in a gold bikini fantasy was so great. It's like, yeah, girl, get it. Like, she's she's game. She's she's awesome. She's she's super rad. Like, she's kind of the girlfriend everyone would want. Like, she's she's game. And of course, another honorable mention is the immortal words I got off the plane, which has definitely become part of pop culture. Another way to say I love you. While we're not super excited <laughs> that uh, she gives up her dream job, but um, it's really a grand, 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 if not the most, the greatest romantic gesture of the entire series. Um, Every other character found their happy ending. And that was really the greatest unfinished business. And it really made us think, is this going to be, is this show going to end with them not being together like it began? You know, is that going to how, is that going to be how it comes full circle? But the writers found a way to surprise us with that cliffhanger of a voicemail. And um, it was just, you know, it was an incredible reveal. So I think, I think that also, you know, I got off the plane is probably another one of the highlights of the series and one of the best Ross and Rachel moments for lots of reasons. Okay. 
who I, I could, you know, been talking for almost 45 minutes about Ross and Rachel. So I'm gonna leave it there, 90s kids, but I wanna hear from you. How do you feel about Ross and Rachel? Were they on a break? Were they the worst couple of the series? Were they the best couple of series? Or is it all a moot point? <laughs> Let me know. And thanks for listening. Next week, we have two episodes for you. We're going to release one on Tuesday and one on Thursday. And it is with the legendary punk rock icon, Henry Rollins. Frontman for Black Flag and the Rollins Band, Grammy-winning spoken word performer, multi-published author and essayist, actor, music history collector, and all-around badass. He sat down with us and we talked for two hours, hence why we're breaking it up into two uh, episodes, about his experiences in the 90s and what the music scene in LA looked like in the 90s and his travel with the Rollins Band in the 90s and what music festivals like Lollapalooza looked like in the 90s. And we had such a good conversation with him. He's a personal friend of ours. He's the best man, the best man at our wedding. Um, and he is truly a very cool person. And we asked him our burning question that we have had since we first met him, if he ever met Kurt Cobain. So you'll have to tune in next week to find out. Don't forget to check out the show notes for the resources on fighting gun violence and racism, as well as information about spotting abuse in relationships. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, TTTHPod on Twitter, Talk to the Hand Pod on Instagram. Website is talktothehandpod.com, or you can reach us at talktothehandpod at gmail.com. Make sure to leave a five-star review, leave your name or a little comment, and you'll be entered to win our giveaway. And I think that's it. Okay. We'll tune in next week for Henry. And until then, mask up, socially distance, be a good human, and be excellent to each other. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week.